Hello and welcome to the Doc Arena podcast in association with Film Ireland. My name is Ross Whitaker, and every fortnight or so, I want to dig deeply into the motivations of documentary filmmakers. How do they choose their subject material and what approaches and strategies do they employ to fund, craft and distribute their work? In this episode, I'm delighted to speak to Pete Middleton and James Spinney, the directors and producers of The Real Charlie Chaplin, a feature doc now available in cinemas in the UK and Ireland. Pete and James are the filmmakers behind the highly acclaimed film Notes on Blindness, and here they search for the real Charlie Chaplin in the story of a man who remained elusive to even those closest to him. Using a variety of techniques, the film tells the life story of Charlie Chaplin, his childhood poverty, his rise to unprecedented fame, his abusive relationships, his inspirational moments, and his stunning downfall. I loved it. Here's the trailer. What was the first moment that you really knew you were famous? I stopped New York. Everyone, he's here. I knew Charlie when he was a little boy. What was he like? He's always funny. All the kids would die laughing at him. Did you ever see them begging in the street? Oh, yeah, it's terrible, you know, the way these boys suffered. That moment when you created the tram upset, what was your first reaction? I felt so free. I could do any mad, crazy thing in life. The public idolized Charlie. It's all the adulations, not for me. It's for the little man. He never felt anybody loved him. He never believed it. He was always acting. He didn't want people to know the real Charlie. One's bound to be insecure with a childhood like his. Those people who are tremendously successful at a young age, it usually destroys them. You know, that already makes them. Mr. Chaplin, are you a communist? You have no patriotic feelings about this country or any other country. I have patriotism, and my patriotism rests with the whole world. In the name of democracy, let us all unite! He accomplished his life's dream, but I don't think he ever really got over his doubts. He said to me, I used to be very famous, he needed an audience. Everyone who gets too close to him, he'll end up suffocating. He couldn't help it. Can I ask how old you were when you married him? He was inaccessible in so many ways. I had grown up with the icon. But the man, I had no idea who the man was. I'm delighted to be joined by Pete Middleton and James Spinney. To start off with James, there have been many works about Charlie Chaplin. Could you give us a sense of the story and approach your film takes? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having us, Ross. Um, yeah, so our film is, is an attempt to kind of to look at the life and work of Charlie Chaplin and how those two things intersect, I suppose, because his life is so in, interwoven with his art. Chaplin used his tramp character kind of to journey inwards and to journey backwards. He's constantly revisiting the, the traumas and humiliations of his childhood through his work. Um, but, but more than that, I think we were interested in tracing how this, this extraordinary life story, which has been called one of the great rags to riches stories, which obviously then involves these great works of art, Chaplin's extraordinary body of work, um, how that also maps onto our idea of um, of celebrity, I think, and how we and how we communicate now, I suppose. You know, when when, when Chaplin stepped on screen in 1914, um, films were just beginning to spread across across the world, um, and within a couple of years, 
chat film is regularly being watched by hundreds of millions of people across the globe. Um, because the films were silent, um, they could be enjoyed by people of all backgrounds and all cultures. And Chaplin seemed to have this extraordinary ability to, to, to form this relationship from, from across the screen. You know, he looks out at us, um, he breaks the fourth wall constantly and is kind of checking in with us. Um, he seems to sort of almost be kind of flirting with us, I think, at times when he looks out at, at us from the screen. Um, and people all over the world kind of felt this connection, built up this connection and, and begin to register this new thing that was being called the Chaplin craze or Charlie mania or Chaplinitis. Um, and we kind of begin the film with this swirl of, um, of sort of imitators and impersonators um, and pirate films that are being made um, because this type of celebrity was, was a completely new thing. You know, it's interesting to think that, you know, even a king, a queen or an emperor, you know, before Chaplin wouldn't have had that type of relationship with, with a mass audience because, because the, the ability to kind of transmit your personality, I suppose, through technology via screens was it was a totally new thing so that really intrigued us um but more than that i think this sense that the people all over the world had this relationship with him but the people closest to him seemed to find chaplin to be quite an elusive character you know his daughter jane told us that she grew up with the icon but she had no idea who the man was um so you know this is the film that, that spans chaplin's entire life story it's um you know his the 88 years that he was on planet earth um it takes in you know what clips from his films um it's a it's a huge swirl of kind of archive but on top of that we've also found recordings that haven't been heard before um including a, an interview with chaplin from the 1960s um where he spoke to a, a life magazine reporter for three days um, which is a very rare thing because Chaplin didn't really didn't really like interviews and he was quite reluctant to be put on tape. Um, so this was a big find for us. Um, we've also found an interview with his childhood friend, Effie Wisdom, who spoke to, to um, the film historian Kevin Brownlow when she was age 91 um, and describes the kind of poverty um, that, she, that she witnessed Chaplin experiencing when he was when he was just a boy. Um, and then a third piece of archive, which is this extraordinary recording from the 1940s, where, um, where Chaplin's being, um, when Chaplin's under attack from the kind of American political and media establishment for his supposed communist sympathies. And that kind of forms the denouement for the film. Um, and so we kind of wo wove those pieces of archive in with, uh, with some new techniques. And, um, and, and yeah, we tried to make a sort of kaleidoscopic swirl that takes in this, this extraordinary life story. So how did you guys come to be telling this story? I mean, I would have been very familiar with your work on, on Notes on Blindness and so on. And that was a film that touched a lot of people and, and definitely became part of, I suppose, the general conversation in documentary making. I still hear people referencing it all the time. How did you go from that film to making this film? Was it something that you sought out or something that kind of came to you? Yeah, I mean, we were... so. You're right, yeah, off the, off the back of um, Notes on Blindness, which came out in, in 2016... Um, we were then uh, in, in, in contact with, um, with with Passion Pictures, a producer called John Batsek, who we've been speaking to for a little while, and um, I'm sure many of your, your your listeners will be familiar with with some of the films that he's been involved in. Listen to me, Marlon, Touching the Void, The Rescue this year. So um, John is uh, is certainly a presence in, 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 on the British documentary scene, and and um, we've been chatting with him and. and 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 he mentioned that he uh, he had he was in contact with a, a producer in the US, um, a guy called Ben Lindbergh, um, who had spent a number of years, I think the best part of a, a decade really, trying to convince the 
the chaplain estate that, that that he should be the one to to um to make make a film about charlie chaplin and 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 to try and do a deal that 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 that, that wrapped up all of chaplin's kind of um all of his films his full kind of creative uh, and personal archive um and uh, and and actually ben had a personal connection with the chaplin family his 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 mother um went to went to ballet school with Geraldine Chaplin, Chaplin's eldest daughter. So there's a strong family connection there. Um, and we got talking with Ben and with John, just trying to trying to puzzle out what this approach would be. I mean, you know, it's uh, Chaplin is, is 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 such a enormous sort of cultural figure, and there's been so many so many great films made about Chaplin, so many hundreds of books in, in dozens of languages. And we were really sort of um, careful, I think, when we when we began the project to, to ensure that there was something new we could say, something new that we could bring to, to Chaplin's story. Um, and some of the, the materials that James mentioned there were, were some of the things that we came across early on. We were, in effect, kind of given... Um, a list of, of 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 things from the Chaplin estate, and actually, right down the bottom of that list was this this reference to the the, the Richard Merriman interview, the nineteen sixty six, a three three day interview, the best part of um, twenty hours worth of recording, um, and that was really the first thing we kind of zeroed in on. And I remember the first time we were listening to that. I mean, it's um, the extraordinary thing about it is. Uh, as James mentioned, Chaplin didn't like interviews. So, so Merriman had this technique whereby he would sort of set the, the audio recorder off in, in the car um, and you'd hear the car radio playing and them doing their kind of testing of the equipment. And then um, you'd hear him getting out the car and the footsteps in the snow walking up to the house, which was this sort of palatial uh, pl- uh, uh, family home in, 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 in Veve in the foothills of the Alps by this stage. Um, you hear him knocking on the door and you hear the voices of the family and then the, their whole relationship um, uh, being being forged, really, as they kind of get to know one another. And at times, Chaplin's not even aware that he's being recorded. After a couple of hours, he'll turn to Merriman and say, you know, why don't you, why don't you start recording? And Merriman will be say, would, would say that, that he already was. Um, and so it was a, it's an extraordinary sort of uh, portal, really, into Chaplin's state of mind at that point in his life. Um, and and that, something about that really captivated us. I think. I mean, we knew then it wasn't just sort of the the a, a, a standard interview, which Chaplin had always kind of given, I suppose, in relation to his films. But they'd always been a little bit stilted. He didn't feel especially confident about it, and he was always very keen to control the narrative. Um, and, um, and 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 as we have a chance to listen to that and 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 delve into some of the other materials, the project really kind of grew from there and took shape. And you know, Chaplin is such a had such an extraordinary life, and there's so much material out there. Then um, it is uh, you know you only need to sort of so when, once you start pulling at these threads, something else is, is quickly quickly uh, revealed, and um, it became a bit of a, a, a rabbit hole for us, I suppose, for a few years. Yeah, and I suppose if you think of Notes on Blindness, one of the extraordinary things about it is how you use that audio archive and, and then the lip syncing technique. Is finding that kind of material quite important to you guys and how you approach something to make sure that you're you're using, I suppose, the first-hand account and, and, and really putting that up there centrally and, and not making it about other people speaking about that person? Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. That was very much... Um 
very much something we were keen to keen to pursue with this. I mean, having talked about Chaplin's interview in 1966, I mean, he's also very clear in that what the what the parameters are about it. So he's quick to kind of close Richard Merriman down whenever the conversation becomes uncomfortable for him. You know, there's there, um, there's there's plenty that Chaplin should feel uncomfortable about in his um, in his history. You know, his his well documented relationship with um, with women and and um, the experience of, of Lita Gray, his second wife, that was. When it when it came out in the 1920s was this huge scandal at the time, um, and the biggest the biggest kind of uh, divorce settlement in Hollywood history at the time, and and Merriman edges towards that at times, and and, and Chaplin's very kind of uh, clear to, to 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 close it down, and so we knew we needed to find something that could really balance, I suppose, provide a little bit of ballast to that sort of authored account, and that set us out looking for for other materials. Um, the, the 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 recording with Chaplin's childhood friend was a huge one for us, but um, as well some of the unheard voices, I suppose, some of the people who 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 had kind of first hand experience of Chaplin um, and could speak with authenticity and uh, authority, I suppose, to periods in his life, and we um, we were helped enormously on the way. The BFI archives, the, the archives of Kevin Brownlow, um, were really opened up to us and. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, as filmmakers, it it, it really is um, something we're very much drawn to. I suppose is trying to trying to find those underappreciated or or lesser heard stories. Um, and uh, and 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 really, there's you know, the, with Chaplin, there have been so many versions of the Chaplin story told over the years, and not least Chaplin's own kind of. Uh, account that that he actually published in his autobiography just a year before this interview we talk about um, that we really wanted to find something that could kind of push against that I suppose. Speaking about then using those interviews and bringing them into a kind of dramatic scenario which is the sort of reconstructions or dramatizations the lip-syncing of actual characters or actually you know actors playing these characters can you talk a little bit about how you approach that it, it's it, it's really kind of, I find it amazing, actually. And, and also, I think what it does from a filmmaking point of view is it, it brings you kind of out of the documentary form. It brings more variety to the film, particularly in, in the case of this one, where you've got archive as well and, and, and you've got his films and so on. Can you talk a little bit about how you approach those dramatic scenes and, and I suppose how you do them so well? For us, it feels very much an extension of of the process of of kind of researching and looking into a life, you know. Um, I think Chaplin's life spans 88 years, and um, and for some portions of his life, he's probably one of the most documented people um, on the planet at, um, from, from that period, you know, when he becomes famous because of this extraordinary fame that he experienced. But in his early years, there's, there's very little material of him. There's only a handful of photographs of him as a child um, from that very impoverished background that, um, that he experienced. Um, so it's an interesting process to kind of go through and start mapping all of these fragments that exist onto a kind of timeline and, and say, you know, where is the person in all this? How do we find? And at, and at points, yeah, you have this tremendous richness of material. At other points, there's nothing. Um, you know, at times it feels a bit like that scene near the end of Citizen Kane where you've got all those kind of objects piled up um, and uh, and all that kind of... and. Um, and I, I suppose in some ways um, we've always seen it as kind of an imaginative art as well, you know, making a biography, because um, because I think you're constantly 
you constantly got these tiny viewpoints and glimpses into a life and then and then you're trying to kind of use what else you know to kind of to put yourself in that room or that place and um and listening to recordings like Chapman talking in the 1960s or or Effie describing the the childhood of, of the 1890s um we kind of felt we sort of felt transported into the room with them as they spoke you know um in the case of that life magazine um recording we um there was about there were hundreds of photographs taken by by the actor Roddy McDowell at the same time so as we listened to the recording of Chaplin speaking we were kind of looking at these contact sheets and um um at these at these portraits of Chaplin and it was hard not to uh, to kind of feel like we were there you could hear the crackle of the fire um and that's a room that we'd visited as well because it's now the Chaplin Museum um and so i think the the, the idea of dramatizing them was sort of a um a response to this really this kind of um this process that we'd gone on in researching it um and an attempt to kind of bring that imaginative sphere into the film partly as well because we were conscious that you know we're making the film um Chapman died in 1977 so we're making the film several decades after his after his death and though we hear from um Chapman's children near the end of the film who we spoke to you know we constantly felt that we were sort of following in the footsteps of of other biographers who've been tracing his life um you know listening to these recordings and we actually begin the film with images of a séance um and um at times it sort of feels like a, a kind of séance like process because you know we've got all these all these materials and we're trying to summon a personality through them through piecing them together um and so the dramatizations felt like a kind of a way to sort of reflect that imaginative process but also to provide kind of maybe present tenses in the film as well you know it's um it's a huge swirl of 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 archive and film clips and and it spans um you know 8 decades um and so i think having these little pockets where we could be present and kind of stabilize um felt like an, an um a useful thing rhythmically as well in terms of finding that path through the through the material and it's you know it obviously requires production design it requires working with a director of photography in a different way than than say you know an interview process that you might have in another documentary is that something that takes a lot of time like what's what's the lead time on planning you know a scene involving these actors in a location that looks you know exceptionally like where they would have been do you deliver a script for the lip syncing or do they listen just a little bit about how you actually do that because to get there and for it to work so well i presume there's tons of work in advance to to make sure that it works on the day yeah i mean it it, it is it is a, um, a sort of a different set of mental faculties involved i mean i mean we often sort of approach it i think as if a bit more um a bit more like you might approach a, a, a sort of a, a narrative drama in a way. You know, as you say, there's the production design, there's working with the, the cast and the cinematographer, and and you know, I think when we were filming out in in Switzerland, so this is in in the museum, and the room there, um, in its sort of state in the museum, is um, is as it was in in the 1960s, and as much as possible, they've tried to do it, but. But it's um, so to try and recreate that space. But it's um, it's also a museum, and that's not the same thing as a film set, you know. So it is quite a lot of work, even just to overhaul that space um, for it. And of course, um, you know, as soon as as soon as you're sort of operating on that kind of scale, it does bring 
you know a very different set of challenges to 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 the kind of documentary faculties that might apply when we're looking through archives or when we're working with our editor and so forth. Um, I think probably the most challenging aspect of it is is that kind of work is is, is the casting really. You know, it is a it's an unusual technique. Um, there's no doubt about that, and 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 it's not something that all actors feel comfortable with, uh, um, being sort of denied the the voice, I suppose. And um, we work with a fantastic casting director, Amy Hubbard, who who also casts um, Notes on Blindness with us, um, and she's and actually she also did um, Claire Bernard's The Arbor. So she has a long, you know, history of of this particular um, niche, I suppose, of of, of filmmaking, um, and she's got a really great sensibility and really great sense of 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 of, of, of performers who might respond to it. But um, the way that we work is that we sort of do a lot of that kind of research and 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 as you say, sort of fashion the archive into into what pretty much feels like a like a like a film script i suppose and then deliver that to the cast so that they can kind of listen to it they can spend time with it they can internalize it um, and then of course on the day we don't record any sound on set instead we have somebody who's kind of cueing the lines um, which sound, which does sound like a sort of strange configuration, but it is, you know, surprising just how quickly the the, the, the crew and everyone kind of gets into it. And um, it, uh, I, you know, I, I look back fondly on some of the experiences we had in uh, filming the this this material for for, for Chaplin. We'd been through that process with Notes and Blindness, and and I think learned quite a lot from that, and learned sort of the, the potential pitfalls. Um, but it is, uh, yeah, it is a strange one, and not not one that 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 that, that I think we take undertake sort of lightly. I, I think for us, it, it needs to feel like it's um, it needs to feel like it's justified, and and it needs to feel like it's you know actually sort of serving the the story. And as James spoke to there, that this idea of of providing these little kind of worlds of presentness that we could we could sort of take the audience to almost as a as a sort of a framework for different periods of Chaplin's life meant that that's it felt like an appropriate technique to use. So you don't record any sound when they're talking. I presume they actually talk though. Do they utter the words or are they mouthing them? Some do, some don't. Yeah, it's quite a quite a idiosyncratic process. Yeah, um, I mean one of the one of the performers who actually doesn't have very many lines in the film is he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's um, an actor called Dickie Bow, who plays Roddy McDowell, the photographer in 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 Switzerland in in this um, in 1966. This interview with Chaplin, he's done a lot of a lot of lip sync work before. Um, his uh, you know his his he's got a lot of stage work and has some fantastic and really inventive and 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 uh, really pushing the pushing the, the the boundaries of of what's possible with the art of lip syncing and and for him i you know i'm not even sure how many times he listens to the line it just has a a kind of an instinct really there is just something there that allows him just to kind of internalize it and 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 with him you know we were never redoing a take because there were any any trouble with the with the performance it was always a, a technical thing on our side um other other people it, it, it's a bit more work or, or or they're new to their technique and it's something that kind of grows and develops throughout the production and of course you know not all of the the different um the different voices have the same challenges you know Effie Wisdom who's 
who's this uh, childhood friend of Chaplin who grew up with him on the streets of Lambeth in the in the 1890s and speaks with such sort of vibrancy and radiance about the their childhood has a has a really strong um, and and beautiful musical Cockney accent that 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 isn't a, a voice that's that you hear very much these days. Um, and, uh, and and we had a wonderful performer, Annie Rosenfeld, who who hadn't done any lip syncing stuff before, and it's a very challenging um, a very challenging voice to 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 get into. But she did it with with, with such um, such skill, and uh, and yeah, we feel look very fondly upon those scenes with Effie and and are very grateful for for everything that Annie gave to the to the production yeah she was she was absolutely amazing wasn't she I mean so it, it almost feels impossible to just take one portion of his life because everything that that was happening was kind of so innovative for its time and then ultimately where it ends up it's you know you think like how everything seems to be relatable to something else from his past particularly from his childhood and uh so in a way that there's nothing you can really leave leave out because it's all circular i think i think that's a very yeah very good way of looking at it you know there is this real sense of causation that runs throughout chapman's life i suppose you know the way that 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 uh the, the 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 poverty of his childhood creates this sort of burning desire to to achieve success and 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 of course that that far surpasses even Chaplin's wildest expectations I'm sure um, and it becomes a sort of a crisis of, of of personality I suppose in the in the in those early years as he as he tries to sort of balance that 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 huge scale of of, of celebrity that that he manages to to, to reach and um, and the insecurity that comes with that, and then of course Chaplin himself and, and his character, this great kind of artistic creation of the Tramp, is is threatened by by the oncoming of of, of sound in the late nineteen twenties, and and the scandals that swirl around some of his relationships, not least Lisa Gray, his second. Uh, his second wife, um, and and because he's he's always sort of journeying inwards and always putting his kind of his his his, his himself into the um, and his experiences into his character, that 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 then leads in the nineteen thirties from grappling with the sort of crisis of capitalism in modern times and the Great Depression and of course the rise of um, the rise of fascism and, and the great clash of ideologies is uh, throughout the, the latter part of that decade, um, where he's, he's he's in effect sort of forced to to kind of put his Trump character on the altar and 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 and, and, and in a sense sort of um, sacrifice him um, in the closing speech of uh, uh, of that film, which 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 in a way sort of unwinds unravels that sort of sense of this, this Trump being a universal character that everyone could. Could relate to. He's sort of forced to, to sort of nail his colours to the mast there. Um, that in turn then leads to the sort of spiral of the 1940s as he gets caught up in McCarthyism and keeps making these sort of gestures, these political kind of posturing towards communism that will ultimately lead to his undoing. So there is a real kind of sort of thread there that runs through his life, this great kind of canvas of a life that, 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 that spans, you know, the the entire entirety of the um, entirety of the first half of the twentieth century, and you know, Chaplin went on to make films in six decades of of, of the twentieth century. It's an extraordinary sort of life and career, um, and so yeah, I think I think that certainly was something we were 
we were sort of wrestling with. I mean, strangely, and correct me if I'm wrong, James, but I, I think we'd always, from very early on, sort of set upon the idea of trying to take on the full scope of it, you know, the challenge of trying to take on the full scope of Chaplin's life. Um, and, it, and as you were talking there, Ross, I was just thinking that actually, you know, in the spanning the, the, the duration of the production, there have been, there were several other Chaplin films that, that came out. There's a drama about the, about the grave robbery, just just focusing on individual events from Chaplin's extraordinary sort of life. There's a, a drama that came out about the grave robbery. There was a, a film about his time in in the thirties, in the in a, a documentary about his time in the nineteen thirties that just focused on his experience in, in in Bali. So yeah, there are definitely there's more kind of um, pointillist approaches to Chaplin's life, but somehow we'd always sort of. <laughs> got it into our heads that we'd try and take on the entire thing and yeah that's 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 certainly uh how, how things panned out I, I wonder then about narration was that something that kind of enabled you in a way because to be able to go through his entire life and you had access to that archive and it felt like you know you, you had the opportunity to I suppose to do something really thorough and the support there to do that and, and make something that felt like you know, this is the one documentary you need to watch about Charlie Chaplin. But I, I'm thinking, you know, as I look at it now in retrospect, I think, well, God, narration must really help in that respect because it does allow you to sometimes just go from, you know, maybe cut out a step or, or get somewhere a little bit quick, more quickly. Yeah, I think, as, as you say, it's that ability to kind of take very sharp turns from one place to another that we felt very liberated by as soon as we introduced the narration. Um and I think it also allowed us, funnily enough, to be a bit more playful. It allowed us to kind of um, to investigate things in a way that kind of for us followed the strange kind of wild goose chases that you end up going on when you when you're researching a project about Chaplin. You know, one example would be, um, you know, this court case that uh, that took place in the 1920s where where Chaplin sues an imitator called Charles Aplin, who was a Mexican actor who was sort of ripping him off. And so Chaplin sued Aplin and then and then um, Aplin ended up turning the tables on Chaplin by saying that he wasn't imitating Chaplin. He was imitating Billy West, who was the famous Chaplin impersonator. And so this court case that begins as a kind of intellectual property dispute ends up kind of, in fact, backfiring and, and going into the whole origins of, well, did did Chaplin invent the tramp costume? You know, there's plenty of people who he was, who were contemporaries of his or elders of his when he was with Fred Carno, who said that they they created a costume that invented, that, that involved um, those same elements. Um, and I think being able to take the, a more idiosyncratic approach to kind of following those those leads and going down these little rabbit holes was was really liberating to us, um, um, and that actually happened a couple of years in after we'd already already been making the film along lines of just using archive or, or just using or mainly being framed around these little dramatic pockets that we've we've talked about, um, and we were very lucky to be able to find a voice that we felt kind of matched that sort of um, that playful approach as well in in the voice of Pearl Mackey. Um, who's just wonderful and who, who we felt captured a kind of a Chaplin-esque spirit as well. Um, we, she has that kind of, um, that same sort of mischievous ability that Chaplin has to kind of, um, to kind of feel like he's sort of slightly teasing, but also you'll, you'll follow him down that road. Um, we felt at times like we wanted the narration to feel a bit like it's just someone sitting next to you in the auditorium, kind of um, watching the film with you almost and kind of piping in when you need them. Um, 
And Pearl's also, um, she grew up in South London, not far from, you know, where Chaplin, where Chaplin did. So, um, so that was another real, uh, another connection for us. Um, and we feel really lucky to have, uh, to have worked with her. She was great. Yeah, it, it's great. And it almost, I suppose, feels a little bit more theatrical in a way, a, a type of narrator than a, than a typical documentary narrator, which is very fitting for the story that you're telling. And, and, and it works really well. And yeah, I, I thought that was that was great. I mean, as we talk about all these things, we keep mentioning the edit. And, and you know, as you said, the film took three and a half years to make. Were you in and out of the edit? Or were you doing some editing yourselves? Like, and I, I know in a funny way, in that sense, Ah, but I I loved the way it took three and a half years. But then when you got to the end of it, it was really, really worth it, you know, because it's it's an exceptional film. But sometimes we can feel like, oh, you know, I've I've been working on this film for so long now, you know, that 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 can be seen as a negative thing. But ultimately, if it gets you to where you need to get to, then then it, it's it's well worth it. How how was that process? I suppose, and and particularly in relation to the edit, was that something? You would do a little bit of it, you know, stand back from it, look at it, and then be able to kind of reconsider where you were going, or, or how did that work? I mean, I guess it had it had different kind of phases, I suppose. Like, I mean, we talked a bit earlier about the the sort of production process involved in kind of mounting the the dramatic restaging of these audio materials with lip syncing and 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 the actors, and and that's um, you know. W- w- there's a sort of a gear shift when you move into that that sort of side of things that sort of consumes all of your energies for in our in our case in this probably for the best part of sort of five six months and during that stage we're not doing much in the way of kind of editing work before that of course we've done a lot of the research where we're experimenting with the the potential of the materials trying to find um, as many different kind of um, audio sources or, or, or archival sources that, that we feel could could either be adapted for the for the sort of dramatic restaging or we think would have a um could exist in their own right working as i suppose you might call sort of conventional archive sources for unpacking chaplain's films we had um uh we worked with a a friend of ours to who who, who, who spent um I can I can say how long actually over a period of a couple of years just had this project whereby he sort of dismantled every every Chaplin film and um, and broke it down into this sort of constituent elements you know every kick uh, every every kind of hat tip every flick of a cigarette butt um, he sort of broke down all of Chaplin's shorts all of his features and we were able to kind of um, I suppose taxonomize them in that sense. Um, and and so that was one element of it. Our main editor, Jules Quantrill, who we worked with on our on our previous film, Notes and Blindness, sort of came in and 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 out and did a, an intensive period after we'd filmed a lot of the the drama material. And then of course the pandemic, you know, put a bit of a, a spanner in the works. I think we were we were sort of supposed to deliver. We were supposed to lock picture in April 2020. Um, and as things began unraveling uh, around the pandemic, that very much kind of set us back. And we were supposed to be playing at film festivals that autumn in 2020, all of which um, sort of got cancelled. So, yeah, it was a stretched process. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, one that I think, you know, gave us time to to to, to take step back and, and, and appraise things and um, 
and and allow these allow it to sort of incubate and i think we've always found in our work you know time is um is <laughs> and i'm sure many filmmakers out there will agree that you've had on your show yeah time is a is a is a, is a really kind of integral factor for 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 trying when you're trying to you know approach a, a subject such as this in, in a thorough uh, fashion yeah, i mean it's extraordinary it's not just the films it's also the outtakes or you know, or the or the the uh, the the takes that didn't find themselves into the film, as you see how Chaplin grapples with directing somebody, or or grapples with trying to get a scene to work, and uh, ultimately, actually, I don't want to give anything away. You know, in, in one scene he figures it out, but you see him struggling with it within. I mean. I, just, I don't know what the question is, actually, but it's it's extraordinary level of detail that you must have gone into in the material. I mean, or or was that did that come from somewhere else? Was that through reading a biography yeah. and, and realizing this happened? Or so I, I mean, I, I should absolutely have said that you know we're also sort of standing on the shoulders of some fantastic Chaplin scholarship that that has gone over the years, and and that's part of the early process for us is to try and um, try and seek as much of that out as possible. And um, we've mentioned a few times Kevin Brownlow, um, the film historian, and and he um, he did some fantastic work. Uh, specifically relating to Chaplin and of course great legacy and contribution to to silent cinema more broadly but specifically in Chaplin he made um he had a research project that that that, that he was undertook in the late 1970s that carried on through the 1980s um and and culminated in the release of a three-part series the unknown Chaplin which um is is which very much goes into Chaplin's kind of um, work as a director, his kind of creative approach, um, and 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 unearthed all of those outtakes that you mentioned there. Um, did an extraordinary job of of managing to persuade a film collector to to sort of part with them, and they now all reside in the in the in the BFI, and and, and many researchers and and film uh, and Chaplin uh, enthusiasts and film historians have had the opportunity to kind of analyse that stuff and. And we were very fortunate to be to be tapping into a lot of that research, and and there were many many um, historians and Chaplin enthusiasts who were incredibly generous with their with their time and energies and resources and in letting us into this world. One of the things I loved about the film was that you could think going into it as a viewer that you are going to be watching a film about someone that's long dead, about events that happened a long time ago. Um, but for me, it felt just really contemporary in so many ways. One in terms of your brilliant filmmaking, but also in terms of uh, the, I suppose, the the connections to stories of celebrity now. Uh, you know, somebody being cancelled, um, how he approaches relationships. There's so many things in it that just felt resonant. Is that something that you? that attracted you to the project maybe or is that something that sort of you brought to it or, or, or started started to discover as you made it absolutely i mean it was very early on um when we when we began to kind of immerse ourselves in in chapton's films and, and understand more about him and the thing that struck us most um most particularly was was this um was the, was the was that connection that he forged. And this is what audiences would have experienced when they first um, stepped into the cinema in the mid-19-teens, that way that he's sort of looking out at you from that screen, that connection that, that, that he forges. Um, and, and, and in a way, Chaplin 
is a is a very modern character you know that tramp character the way that he was able to sort of journey inwards to put him so much of himself into his films not only his childhood but his experiences and always responding to that moment in the day that feels like something that's very uh very modern even from today's um perspective and of course you mentioned the sort of the 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 more overt sort of threads there the the, the resonances that, that that connect with um with the present day i mean when we were making the film there was there was um you know we, we began in in sort of 20 2017 so of course was, politically speaking we had a there's a globally there was a, a rise in in strongman politics and and um and 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 and, and politicians who who seek to sort of uh, divide and uh, more look towards more divisive kind of um, political ideologies. And Chaplin is most famous for for the stand that he took um, against fascism and that, that that speech at the end of the the Great Dictator, where he's he's challenging sort of um, uh, greed and, and 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 division and and and. Um, and, and and strongman politics and and of course we've talked a little bit about um, about Chaplin's relationship with with women and 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 what what particularly struck us in in that is just the way that that, that society responded at the time so in the mid nineteen twenties when when Chaplin was um, uh, involved in in in, uh, in in what at the time was the the most um, most expensive divorce settlement in, in in Hollywood's history, there was a real sense of um, of the the establishment, the, both the media establishment and and the political establishment and the intellectual establishment, standing behind Chaplin um, and 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 rounding on Lisa Gray, who was um, just a teenager at the time. You know the. The headlines that 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 that, that accompany that that those court proceedings are, are really um, quite uncomfortable, even from this day. You know, though she was she was widely sort of dismissed as a gold digger and a and a little whore, and really um, really spoken in quite nasty language. Um, that that is something that that um, the sort of struggle for 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 particularly female voices to have their their their, their stories heard is something that, of course. You know the institutions, uh, the entertainment industry has been has been grappling with in the last few years, um, um, uh, with the, with Me Too and the Times Up um, movement. So, so that was all very much sort of percolating, I suppose, as we were making the film. Um, and on that, we were particularly interested in in the way that in the nineteen twenties, as say, there was Chaplin celebrity afforded him something of a kind of uh, some some protection, I suppose. Um, in the 1940s, when a similar pattern of behaviour occurred with with Joan Barry, another young actress who had come to Hollywood, sort of seeking a break in the movies, and had fallen under um, uh, fallen into the company of Chaplin, and uh, and 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 again had very disturbing stories about the about how that relationship unfolded. At this point in in, in Chaplin's career, when when he when he no longer had the Tramp character to uh, to sort of shield him and 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 his 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 then the affection of the public has um, uh, had begun to uh, begun to to um, uh, fall away. He the 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 political establishment were able to were able to turn that on uh, turn that against him and 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 Jager Hoover's FBI and co uh, in cahoots with with 
head uh, hopper and 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 some of the nastier elements of of, of the right wing media were were able to turn that against him and and for us it was very interesting if you look at the two the sort of the parallels between those cases and and what that says about this institution of celebrity um so yeah there was a lot in there that we felt was was you know a lot of resonances in there that, that we felt would connect with uh, with modern audiences Thanks again to Peter Middleton and James Spinney for taking part in the interview. The Real Charlie Chaplin is available in cinemas and on demand across the UK and Ireland from February 18th, 2022. Thanks to Stephen Galvin and Film Ireland for supporting the podcast and to film composer Michael Fleming for kindly allowing me to steal his music. You can find more of it at michaelflemingmusic.com. And thanks to you for listening. <laughs>